What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo, brought to you by Thin Man Brewery. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Sailor. And Taylor, we have the pleasure of welcoming a first-time guest to the pod. Folks, we are very happy to have joining us today, Lance Lysowski from the Buffalo News. Lance, welcome to Straight Up Sabres. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. A pleasure. Um, happy to join you. Glad this all worked out. And um, yeah, I know that there's not a shortage of topics to talk about, so... Absolutely. So let's get right into it then. It's a good time to be a Sabres fan having this much to talk about in June. And so what we want to start off talking about is your report with regard to Victor Olofsson and his camp being informed that the plan is for him to be moved before the start of next season. This is something that Taylor and I, we talked about a lot really throughout last season. And obviously now as we're starting to get into the off season and just generally speaking, what Olofsson's fit is on this team, both in the short and long term in that sense with him only having one year left on his deal. So, Lance, can you talk a little bit about that report and just, again, your thoughts on Olafson and, I guess, how he really has not been able to kind of fit into the mix now and how the Sabres will be now looking to move him ahead of next season? Of course. I made a few phone calls. Nobody is surprised. I don't think that this is any sort of groundbreaking material, but I at least wanted to get it on the record um, in any way that I could that he's expecting a trade. Um, the signs were very clear late in the season when he gets scratched in those five consecutive must-win games. Not only does he see the writing on the wall, the organization knows this guy's entering the last year of his contract. We're not signing him. Look at the prospect pipeline. It's pretty easy to tell, okay, who is going to replace that particular player. You've got Kulik, who's basically ready. Isak Rosean showed that he doesn't need much more time at all in Rochester. You know, Paterka and Quinn are going to be taking another step. I think that you're going to see more con- contributions for them on the power play. So really, Olsen at this point with this team, I know he scored 28 goals. It's it's sort of, it's, it is hard to believe that we're talking about the Sabres walking away from a 28 goal score when they've been searching for secondary scoring for so many years and they finally developed it to this extent, but they're in a good spot here. Um, they need to create the roster, the roster, flexibility we know Matt's a voice situation there's a chance he could be carried on the roster at the start of the year it's time for Kulik they don't want to block block prospects all things considered it's just too risky to carry Olsen into the season and try to trade him at the deadline and I know that for those of us in Buffalo and and those of us who've watched the Sabres as closely as you know we have whether it be I don't care if it's the media or the fans everybody sees the deficiencies in Olsen's game he's not good enough defensively when it comes to the forecheck and other areas of his game playmaking there's not enough consistency at five on five I don't care how many goals he scored and we know the quality of those goals particularly this year the timing of them it just doesn't make any sense that being said i think that the sabers are in a pretty good spot here in terms of getting a, 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 a pretty solid return for the type of player that is it this this league is all about roles a good example i can bring up is just daniel sprong for seattle right like he's a a player with with many flaws in his game that's going to prevent him from being that top 6 fixture who's on the ice in key situations but you need somebody to put the puck in the back of the net, and Olsen's going to be able to do that. He's going to bolster a power play wherever he goes. So you're going to – it's no surprise there's interest around the league already. So they're going to be able to move off this deal, get – you know, whether it's part of a package for a defenseman, whether it's part of a package to get a draft pick that you can then feel better about moving something else, they're in a good spot here. And although they might have to wait for the market, whether it be, you know, you have to bring it, who's available. How does that affect Olsen's market? Tarasenko is a power play guy. Maybe a team who, who misses out on him is looking for a fallback and a cheaper short-term deal that provides more flexibility in the long term. They're going to be able to move off it. I think pretty easily. It's just a matter of, of waiting to get the best deal. And of course, I think that just the willingness, the eagerness maybe to, to get a deal done shows what their plan is for Yuri Kulik. Well, and that leads into my next question. You know, you had mentioned it a couple of times between Kulik, between uh, Rosine, between Savoy. Like, they have so many of these young guys who really feel like if they're not all the way there right now and ready to take the step into the NHL, they're at least very close. So what sense are you getting in terms of the organization's willingness to put one of those guys into that top nine role next year? Very much willing, right? I think last last summer, um, although some on the, you know, I think a lot of us on the outside were wondering what the plan was going to be for Paterka and Quinn, what they showed in Rochester, that was enough for this organization. I know I've heard a few people, whether it be media or around the NHL over the past year, 
make the incorrect phrasing that this isn't a development league. The NHL is absolutely a development league. This isn't the 90s. You need players to get to the NHL and improve their games there. If you hit, if you get to the NHL and you're not proving when you get there, well, you're going to be in trouble. You're not going to survive. And a lot of guys don't. When it comes to somebody like Kulik, although he has areas in his game that are going to need to be worked on once he gets to the NHL, the Don Granado and his staff have a track record of already of being able to to work those guys in and being able to know how to use them in certain situations. And now, whether you put Kulik, you don't need to have him. You know, I think traditionally you say, well, you know, would he benefit more from playing 20 minutes in Rochester or a third line role in, in Buffalo? Well, look at the at Buffalo's third line. You know, Casey Middlestad could be the left wing. He produced 50-plus points last year. And that playmaking ability, his work along the wall is going to complement Olsen on the other wing just tremendously. So I think Kulik, in terms of he's further along than Rosean, particularly physically. I think that's the one, the, the clear separator between those two players, the type of game they play. Um to where he's ready. And I I think that Roseanne needs more time, but he's much further ahead than anyone could have anticipated because of the, the year that he had in Rochester. His development has just been accelerated tremendously through that experience and the help that he's gotten through the coach with the coaching staff down there. In light of that, and as we're talking about the wealth of special prospects that the Sabres have right now, just a really, really good core group of more maybe we could call them depth prospects and then obviously you have a lot of those high-end ones and you also had reported with your Olafson report that the Sabres are also exploring the potential of trading up along with trading down but especially with trading up that's been a very hot topic for a lot of fans a lot of people have been talking about it especially in light of the fact that Mishkov there's the potential of him falling a little bit given his contract situation in the KHL so can you talk a little bit more about that and I guess you know as we're talking about the organization's willingness to do things when it comes to actually moving up like do you feel like Kevin Adams is at a point now where if Mishkov falls maybe like out of the top five we'll say to aggressively move up and go and get that guy, given where the roster and particularly the forward group is positioned both this season and the next few years leading up to when Mishkov would eventually be able to make a jump to North America. There's definitely more of a willingness to make that kind of a trade because now they have the, the pipeline they do. You know, and we could talk about all the guys they've signed, but you also have that wild card in Poltapov who's just yep. been getting <laughs> so Crazy. good in the KHL the last couple of years. So. You, there's an opportunity, whether it be in, in a move-up situation, and that's not only the first round, that's the second round, too. They've got two second-round picks, so if there's a player they like on the board toward the end of the first, they have the opportunity to move up. And so not only have they called teams about possibly moving up in the first, but they've called the teams in the back half of the first round. Okay, well, if, if, you, if you're willing to move back, what's your needs? Okay, what, what's this going to cost? They've been aggressive on draft day since Kevin Adams took over. He traded up to get Paterka, right? He traded up to to get Kulik. They've or they've tried to he tried to trade up to get Kulik a couple of different times. So, you know, whether it be Michkov or or if it's that defenseman they want or a Ford with, that they had high on their board that fell because you know beauty's all in the eye of the beholder. We can keep looking at mock drafts and rankings all we want, but it's individual scouting staffs and, and where they have players. So, yeah, um, I think they're. You know, and it's a, it's a difficult balance because not only are you, you considering assets for moving up for that type of a player, but you also have needs on your NHL roster where you might need to move picks. So it's going to cost a lot, I would think, to move into the top 10, right? I don't know if that's a reasonable – I don't see them doing it for that reason alone. This draft, how deep it is, they're still going to get a really good player at 13. It would have to be a really special opportunity, but that's why you make these calls weeks ahead of time so you get a, a sense of where other teams are at and, and what the ask would be. Nice. Uh, so speaking of prospects, uh, you obviously at the Combine recently – uh, so that experience at all clarify for you, like what the Sabres are looking for at 13 or who they might target slash also, was there any other interesting things you learned there? No, when it's tough with the combine now with none of the Russian players there. And I think that we're still in a climate where there's still NHL teams that are hesitant to pick these guys because they don't have a recent track record of signing them. Buffalo is not the case. So I'm very fascinated with some of the Russians, particularly like Dmitry Semyshev, the defenseman who could be available to them at 13, Definitely. wasn't at the combine. So it's tough to get a sense there. But what I will say is since Kevin Adams took over as general manager, we've seen three three quali qualities that are overarching. You'll get all their picks. What are they looking for? You can nail it down to three things. It's skill, 
competitiveness and in, in hockey sense, hockey IQ, whatever buzzword or phrase that people are using nowadays. Those are the types of players they're looking for. So when you're thinking about, okay, is this player a potential fit for the Sabres? That's what I always try to ask myself. Now, Zach Benson's an interesting an interesting player with such varying levels of interest where people have him ranked. You know, right now he's a smaller kid who's going to have to get a lot stronger to play the type of role that he's probably going to have in the NHL, but he really interests me. We know that when it comes to the Sabres, their trends, whether it be players that they've drafted or players that they've signed or, or acquired and, you know, via trade, it's connections and relationships matter. And given that Savoy played in Winnipeg, with Zach Benson, that is one example of a player that I would keep an eye on because not only did he play with Savoy, he was coached by James Patrick, who also has a good relationship with Kevin Adams. So when you're you're vetting these players at this age, you're looking for, you know, any piece of information you can get. And when you have somebody is really incredibly skilled as Benson, like if he falls at 13 and they have all the information they do about him as a player he it's going to give him the edge over other guys you could say that for other players available if you know you take a closer look at okay what what's their possible connection to the sabers the scouting staff and you know some of these guys look a lot better analytically than others we know how that that component is important to this group now um if you just look back at what they've drafted the past few years Absolutely. So I guess another question too, with that in mind, I know you'd mentioned Simashev and, and, and Benson, and there's a few other guys whose names have been thrown around as potential options for the Sabres at 13, but I guess even like independent of the pick, was there anybody at the combine among the first round talents that really jumped out at you that maybe wasn't on your radar as much before or like collectively, whether it was among people you were talking to fellow journalists, whatever, everybody kind of had the eyebrows raised a little bit about their performance. I just think that the one player I think is going that is going to move up draft boards based on he's going to ace the interviews. He had a heck of a freshman year at Michigan. His his developments in a really good place. His dad played at a high level, played pro hockey. It's it's Gavin Brindley. Uh, I don't know if he fits the Sabers. He's a late first round guy. Um, on the shorter side, five eight, five nine. Um, I think. I, I do wonder about that piece of it with the Sabres. You look at their, their prospect pipeline. You've got a couple of smaller guys. So they, are they going to feel comfortable going that route at 13th overall? Because um, you want different types of players. You want different types of skill sets in your pipeline. But Brindley, man, like incredibly impressive in all interviews. I know teams love him, um, has all the intangibles, the type of player they could be, the playmaker, the shot. He just has it all. And when you have that head start in college hockey, like, like he and Matthew Wood did at UConn, it answers a lot of development questions or potential, okay, where do we see this guy in a few years? I mean, their their trajectory to reaching pro hockey, whether it be in the American League or the National League, is going to be ahead of others just based on the simple fact they've, they've gotten college hockey games in at a very high level. Everyone uh, seems to think that the Sabres are mainly targeting a goalie and a second-pairing defenseman uh, this offseason. Do you, is there anything, well, first, I guess, uh, what are your thoughts on who they should target there? But also, is there anything else that people are overlooking here that the Sabres might be targeting? Uh, so when it comes to defensemen, there are a lot of options out there. Now, the internal debate they're going to have is, do they feel comfortable taking somebody with only one year remaining on their deal, whether it be Brett Pesci or Noah Hannafin in Calgary? Because those two are very much the types of players the Sabres are looking for here. But yeah. are you kicking your problem a year down the road and you're just going to be looking for another guy next offseason? Because as much as you love those two types of those two players, their payday is going to be in the six to seven million dollar a year range. Pesci, it looks like six. That's the projections, at least that I've seen. Are they able to pay that? It's tough. They're not going to be able to pay everybody in the future. This team is going to be up against the cap much sooner and much quicker than a lot of people anticipate if they're not careful here. So that's a piece of it that I think that you need to keep, you need to be aware of. Um, when, in terms of other defensemen, there are not a lot of guys out there with term on their contract um, that you can go out and get younger guys that fit, you know, Bo Quist. I don't think he's a top four guy in Columbus. They're going to have to move a defenseman. They've got a surplus. So just something to keep in mind when you're, you're trying to maybe forecast who they're getting, because 
I know it's it's fun. You know, fans like to look at free agency. Who's the top available guy here? But whether it be like May like Mayfield, he's he's going to be outpriced. Like that per, the the price tag on that's going to be too high to for for their liking, just based on not only they be paying Dolly and Power, but like if they want to keep Middlestad, they're going to have to pay him at some point. You know, you're going to have Paterka and Quinn coming up sooner than you probably think. Krebs, if he continues on this, like it's just. It's going to become a more and more expensive team here. Um, so that's the defense piece. When it comes to goaltending, guys, I just I find it very hard to believe here they're going to be able to find an upgrade over Uko Pekalukinen with what they want to pay. They're not going to want go out in free agency and give somebody a four or five year deal. It's not going to happen. So you know you get the hell of a buck. Of course, I think you have that conversation. I expect Kevin Adams to. He's always made the call, but not only is Winnipeg going to want a lot for the goalie, which I don't blame them, but you got to sign Hellebuck, and that's not a deal the Sabres are going to give out. They're not. It's Mm -hmm. a non-starter there. Carter Hart, not a fit for me. Another guy you're going to have to pay. So you keep going down the list, and really, you're starting to look at bargain types of players, right? Like free agency, I expect Varlamov to go back to, to the Islanders. There's not a whole lot out there. You know, Vemelka in Arizona is one that intrigues me because I think you can get him for cheaper, how much better is he going to be than, than Lukanen if your team just defends better and protects the puck better? Because that was a big sore spot for the goaltending. Um, and another name that really interests me and fascinates me at this stage of the process is Spencer Knight. What's Florida going to do there? The Sabres last regime loved the kid when he was coming out, but they chose Dylan Cousins. Good pick, by the way. Yeah. But Florida needs to move off that $4.5 million a year. Um, Seth Appert coached Spencer Knight, the program. You've got a lot of background info on that kid, his situation right now. Is that the type of move you want to make? It's more expensive. There's, there's risk involved. I think no matter what, you're carrying risk into the season, whether it's Uko Pekalukinen on a cheaper contract or you go ahead and try to get somebody else. I don't think they're going to benefit from going out and getting another Eric Comrie type. They've they've swung and missed on that already. Knight is very interesting, and I think it, it speaks to a greater conversation here because when you look at a lot of the names that have been mentioned and thrown out there as options, you know, what you'd be getting into with a guy like Carter Hart is very different than like a guy like Helly Buck. And more than like a skill level thing, I'm kind of just talking about like age and where they are in their career. Yeah, Spencer Knight, I think, is a really interesting option there. But that also kind of leads into like, you know, this is a pretty unproven guy. I mean, he really hasn't been able to take the job from Bobrovsky. It's been two years of this now that he hasn't. Obviously, he had his personal issues and off-the-ice issues that he was dealing with this year that led to him missing the the stretch run of the season in the playoffs there. Um, so I guess I want to ask you this first, then I want to ask you about a couple of guys after the fact, after That's I fine. get your answer here. But what sense do you get? Like, do you think that the Sabres are leaning one way or another in terms of like, all right, we want to go and identify this veteran presence to play with Levi, or do we want to go and get maybe a younger guy who hasn't found a fit somewhere or just hasn't worked with where they are to kind of push Levi then to steal the job, essentially? I think that there's comfort in keeping Lucan in because there's a confidence internally that he'll benefit from competing against Devin Levi last year when Lucan was up in Buffalo before Levi arrived, who was he competing against? Right. Eric, like an injured Eric Comrie. No, you're not competing against Craig Anderson at that stage of his career. So, you know, you could, you could become complacent at times. I'm not saying that was the case, but you're never going to have that scenario or your thought, that, that thought in your head, with Devin Levi there. I think both of them, when you have two young goalies like that, there couldn't be a real benefit to it. You trust your goalie coach. Look, look at what, just an example, what Sean Burke was able to do with the goalies out in Vegas. Like if you have a good goalie coach (laughs) and you defend the way that Vegas did, I think you're going to see teams unwilling to pay big money to goalies for that reason alone. You think if you have your structure, if you have a good enough decor, which the Sabres think they're going to, if they once they add that other top four piece, there's going to be a lot of confidence internally. With, with Knight, it's the number, right? It's 4.5 a year yeah. for three more with three years. And again, with what the Sabres are projecting, they're going to have to pay certain guys, including Levi, you know, at some point down the road, it's going to be tough to swing that. It it just is, which ultimately I've sat, I've gone through all these options in in terms of goaltendings, what they've cost. I've reached out to people around the league. And I just keep coming back to, to them rolling it back with those with Levi and Luke. And as much as you're carrying risk in doing that, I also think that they're afraid of taking risk on somebody who's more expensive and is going to cost you 
assets outside of just money, you know, whether it be a draft pick or prospects, it's, I understand the reservation, but you need two guys like look at the goaltending at the end of the playoffs, Bobrovsky and Hill, neither were overused during the regular season for other reasons. Whereas Ottinger and Vasilevsky, two elite goaltenders were overused. And you saw what that sort of wear and tear did to them in the playoffs. They, their games fell apart in big moments and you can't have that. Totally. So the two guys, well, a few guys I want to ask you about first, I want to get your thoughts on whether you feel like the, either of the Carolina goalies would make sense. There are a couple that we've talked about and Frederick Anderson and anti Ranta. Um, both of them have had their fair share of injury concerns over these past handful of years and really throughout their careers. Now, both of them, you know, you're going to probably think that Carolina keeps one of them to pair with Kochekov next year. They just signed Kochekov to that four-year extension during the season this year. So is there a possibility there? Because again, we're talking about like a, you know, having a guy that's at least like consistent, maybe a veteran playing behind a solid defensive structure, what have you. And then the other name that I just wanted to throw out there that I think, I don't know if it really necessarily makes sense, but he's just, it's constantly tied in with the Sabres is John Gibson. He's got 6.4 million left on his deal for four more years, seemingly going to be at the end of his tenure in Anaheim here as Anaheim is about to have the second overall pick. And I mean, they're pretty well positioned, I think moving forward, but Gibson really is not the guy that he used to be and not held in the regard that he used to be. I think there's definitely intrigue in the sense of like, okay, if you could get him out of here and in a good defensive structure and with a team that scores more could you get some semblance of that guy back but there's a lot of risk involved with that as well as is the case with both of the Carolina goalies either one of them so with that in mind I mean do any of those names pique any interest for you at all Gibson does not with the term on the contract the dollar figure even if they retain it's too big of a risk and he's Mm -hmm. got no trade protection I don't I think he's going to try to influence a move to Pittsburgh he's from there they need a goaltender I think they're in a much more desperate spot and you're not, they're not going to have to give up as much for him. He fits more into their picture than he does the Sabres, the types of players the Sabres would look at. Now Ranta and and Anderson are, are the two more intriguing options in free agency because they're not going to require term like evolving hockey. I always use their contract projections. It just, I know there's a few others that do great work out there, but like evolving hockey, for example, has Anderson two years cap hit of 4.15 million. That's not bad, right? Yeah. If, but I will say this I don't like Ronta as much, the injury history or not. I like, I, I prefer Anderson. But if you're going to move Lukanen and let's say replace him with a 33 year old goalie, I don't care what other move Lukanen's involved in, whether it be to get another defenseman or something else, draft pick, whatever. You need another goalie prospect. You lost Portillo. Use a second round pick on Lean in last year, and you just look at the numbers. I saw him at Dev Camp. Like, I wouldn't feel great about your your organizational goaltending depth giving up on a, yet another young guy and replacing with someone who's already thirty three years old. As much as you like Levi, I think you got to protect yourself. Um, totally, not only the short term but the long term. And to answer the last part of Taylor's question about what other areas they might address. I think that if, if Gergensen's walks, they're going to try to find somebody who plays that type of role. That's not something they're going to count on a Rochester player to fill because you look at Rusek, you look at Weisbach. Those are two that I'm, you know, who are right on the cusp who aren't necessarily, you know, in that Roseanne Kulik category. They're not going to bring to your team what Gergensen's does. So, but again, if Gergensen's walks, you know, it's going to be tough to find a player with, on a short-term deal that can give you that sort of an impact. So that's just another area. I don't expect them to go to the Amherst to try to replace Zengus Gergensen's if that ends up being uh, a need at the end of all this. Yeah. So with that in mind, then what do you think the bottom six ends up looking like next year? Um, okay. Let's say if Tyson Joe's three signs and Gergensen's walks, you just want to do that sort of scenario. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, third line, Middlestead on the wing. For now, Jost at center and Kulik at right wing. You look at the fourth line, Jordan Greenway, Peyton Krebs, Kyle Lockposo. That's – and it all depends on that player that they would get to replace Gergensen's. You know, I have talked about Ross Colton as somebody that I would want if I'm a general manager. Uh, great. Restricted free agent for Tampa Bay. 
once you acquire him, the payday is not that high. Evolving Hockey has AAV at around $3 million, which is a really good value for what he brings in that type of a skill set. That's what I'm looking for. He's like 26 years old. He fits in not only short-term, but long-term. That's what I would target. Because you'll get the free agent market. And as much as I think you can find some bargain finds, you know, you can improve your team around the margins with some of these forwards, like Jesper Fast, for example. You can get him probably pretty cheap, and I like what he did in Carolina. I like him back in with the Rangers. I just think you need a heavier player because, um, you know, we always – you hear the phrase in hockey, you need guys who get you to the playoffs and you need guys who get you through the playoffs. And as much as you might be able to – address the the first aspect of it with Gergensen's and find people who replace that production and, you know, defend well enough to, to fill that role. I also think this team needs to start thinking playoffs instead of just regular season success. They started this process when they got Greenway and they got Riley Stillman, two heavier players to complement the more skilled forwards in this group and even the skilled defensemen. They need to keep that in mind when they're not only are they looking for a possible Gergensen's replacement, but also a top four defenseman as well. So you bringing up Krebs and Jost there, I think is interesting because with Krebs, he had a, a pretty solid year overall last year in the sense that, you know, one of the things that Taylor and I talk a lot about is guys adaptability and that really leading to any like long-term NHL success where a lot of these guys maybe in juniors or, you know, coming up through like the minors, anything like that, that they have a lot of scoring success or what have you, but then they get to the NHL and they don't have this kind the same kind of level of talent compared to their peers at that level with Krebs. I think he has a lot of really great tools. I mean, we know about the skating, we know about the playmaking ability and passing ability. And this year, of course, I think maybe the biggest part of his game that really developed was that defensive game. And so do you foresee him going into next year though, being on that fourth line, or do you think that they look at it as though like, well, we invested, like he was one of the main pieces of, of the Eichel deal. Like we have a lot invested in him. He's a, he's a highly touted guy. He's, you know, shown that when he plays with skill players, they feed off of each other and really to kind of make the most out of his playmaking ability. So do you feel as though he is going to be kind of sticking in that fourth line role this year? Or do you think that they try and get him up the lineup a little bit, whether it even is just moving him up to that third line center role? Of course, I think he's ready for a top nine role. Um, I think if you put that that kid next to two shooters, two guys who compliment him, like he's going to get them the puck. And last year was such an important development season for him because like a lot of younger guys, he got through junior hockey without that strong base defensively. You got to learn how to play that way. You got to learn how to play hard, direct hockey with a type of skill set, the type of build like Peyton Krebs is going to be a really good player. I think I really do think he's going to be tough, hard nosed center that play that not only can distribute, but he can play the way that they wanted him to last year. So that versatility is going to keep him in the lineup. It's going to keep him on in this team, I think, for for the long term. And I think there there is another skill component that we have yet to see that you're going to once he's playing with skilled wingers. The only reason why I didn't put him in that mock lineup with Middlestad and Kulik. I don't want him and Middlestad just passing the, the puck back and forth to with each other yeah. because one of the, you need somebody to shoot. I like I want Krebs on a line with guys who are going to be eager to shoot. So that's sort of the tricky component there because as much as I like Middlestad and I well his development over the last year and how far he's come and um you know just with health like the guy's got to start shooting the puck more. He knows it and it's just tough when you put two guys in the lineup like that who are are just natural playmakers that I want to put more complementary skill sets together. But I think that they have such a luxury right now. Um, you got to be deep down the middle. You, you do. You have to have options not only to build your lineup, but to, in the event of injury. We saw it when Middlestad stepped up and played on the first line with Tage Thompson injured late in the regular season. I'm I really think that if you needed Krabs to step up and play a top a top six role, he can. Um, especially you put him on a line with two guys who could shoot, two guys who are you know who have that sort of attacking mentality. He's going to be fine. So they developed a lot of really good options here down the middle. What I am interested to see is how they balance the Krebs middle stad. You know, can those guys play together? You know, if they can't, how are you going to handle that? Is Joe's going to be at center again because the face-offs were an issue last year? We'll see. I think Krebs is going to emerge as being like their top face-off guy. I really do because he's put so much work into it. He's just such a, 
he's just such a tough player. You know, he like if you go back and watch uh, ga- a few of the games against Boston last year, like he got Bergeron kicked out of the faceoff dot a few different times, and that that's that was on purpose. That's not just an accident. Just the way that he's approaching those situations. Yeah. So is there with the uh, the draft coming up? Is there anything you think uh, with day two that the Sabers could be targeting, or is that not really clear? It's not really clear for them. They're best player available. They don't have enough with the guys who have graduated the NHL. And, you know, you look at a player like Sardarian, his development hasn't gone as expected. Um, We'll see what he does in New Hampshire as a sophomore. But right now, I can't imagine they feel very great about that pick. Costantini, you know, maybe some of that is opportunity in North Dakota, but, you know, it, it just hasn't worked out. So a couple of the players in the pipeline, you know, Matt's Lindgren, didn't have a great year this year in Red Deer. So how's he going to look next year? They didn't sign him. They signed Komarov. So they've got to protect themselves. They got to keep backloading this prospect pipeline. I know everybody's wondering about goalies. When you know, are the Sabres going to pick one? I don't expect them to pick one unless it's late in the draft because they picked. They spent a second rounder last year on leaning in. You know, if there's a guy there they like, they'll pick him. But otherwise, I think they're just going best player available. Um, you know, as much as. People on the outside, you'll get, you know, the prospects and everybody just talks about the talent they have. I think the the Sabres are just being cautious here. They don't want to feel too good about what they have because they know how quickly the narrative and just the reality can change with injuries, unexpected hurt, you know, bumps in the road for players as they, they try to work their way to the National Hockey League. So quickly to go back to, to the bottom six conversation in our last episode, or at least it was one of the last couple episodes we had, we had talked pretty extensively about Jordan Greenway and that, that move kind of puts them in a bit of a tough spot. You know, you go back to the deal and a player of his caliber reputation and investing a second round pick into it. I mean, it's a good amount of capital to invest in a guy to not just be able to kind of be like, all right, I think it's time to move on. However, I think that's fair to question how much he really showed you this past season for him to really kind of, you know, have a a consistent role on this team moving forward. And as we were talking before about the bottom six and who you project there, should that be the case, which I do feel like is very likely that that's what it ends up looking like. That would mean that there's really no external addition to the forward group there. Greenway, I don't think really gives you like the skill set that you were talking about with Gergensen's there. And so I guess I'm just kind of curious, you know, your thoughts on where Greenway fits into the picture here moving forward, how much rope they're really going to give him. And even though it may seem like a long shot, like if an opportunity came along that he was like a sweetener in a deal or something like that, would they even consider moving on from him, given what the rest of the forward group is currently looking like it's going to shake out as? I, I, based on all my conversations, they love the potential of Jordan Greenway in this lineup. They looked at, they, when, when they were considering this trade, they threw out last season with the Minnesota Wild, this past season, um, because of, he was hurt at the start of camp. He never got going. He was playing through injury. When he came back, it was pretty clear there was a disconnect between him and the coach. Since Everson took over, Greenway, the usage, the opportunity, it just it just hasn't worked out there. They knew when, not only when they acquired Greenway, but Stillman, these were players for the future. These weren't players for last season, which is my only real gripe with their deadline approach because they knew Greenway, confidence is shot. Um, probably still dealing with an injury, is going to need a full offseason and a full training camp. And with Stillman, confidence was shot because he was in a man-to-man system, going to need a full training camp. We don't have a whole lot of practice time, so we're going to have to try to make this work under difficult circumstances, and it didn't in the interim. But longer term, Greenway, as a defensive, he's really good defensively. He could close quickly. I think that they used him too soon on the penalty kill, um, that, which comes to mind when I think back to the loss to the Capitals when you know the Capitals came back in the third period, talk penalty at the end, yada, yada, yada. But when you talk around to people around the league, Greenway does have a really good reputation. Uh, when you, I know people, you know, especially Sabres fans, at the time of the trade, brought up the the Michael Russo report that Greenway was late to a meeting or whatever. Don't deny the report at all. But this happens across the league. I had one coach told me I had a Hall of Fame player miss multiple meetings, but you know what? It only gets to the media if you wanted to get to the media. Minnesota wanted to get to the media to make an example out of the player. So, what do you think the player thought of when that got out? Right, like right. 
you're basically giving up on him. So I think that they they have a confidence that Greenway, with this system, with this coach, is going to figure it out and realize his potential. The effort's got to be better. The flyby forechecking can't be a trend like it was late in the regular season in Buffalo. He's going to have a lot to show. He really is. Because I'm with you guys. I'm with a lot of people where I didn't see enough, you know, to match what they gave up for him. This is the coach going out on a limb on a player he really likes and really believes in. And the coach has been right more times than wrong so far. So it's a wait and see. What I think they see Greenway, though, as somebody who could play up or down the lineup. And if he's playing down, they think they're in a really good spot. They think that that's a player who can really contribute and, and add more offense than maybe they have been getting from their fourth line as of late. Okay, yeah. So I want to talk a little bit more about the, the defense after. But real quick, just got to do a quick uh, ad break. So for starters, listeners know our longtime sponsor, DraftKings. I know it's going to sound a little funny, but it's still the old script. So just imagine this next spring. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can make a $5 bet and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use promo code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Massachusetts? Call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY at 467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700 on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. It's 21 and over in most eligible states, but age will vary by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash hockey terms. And then, of course, uh, our second sponsor, Thin Man Brewery. Uh, So, a lot of fun yesterday at the Summer Solstice event. Good turnout and all that. Nice weather. Good music. Uh, But if you couldn't make it, you can still celebrate Thin Man's 7th anniversary with their 7th anniversary uh, IPA called Summer Solstice. It's a 7% hazy IPA. Uh, and it's brewed with New Zealand hops, NZ hops. I assume that's New Zealand, or otherwise just NZ hops. I don't know why I thought New Zealand. <laughs> oh, yeah, they are from New Zealand. Okay, good. Uh, so, yeah, check that out. Uh, and then the next thing that we're going to be talking about uh, coming up more is the Weirdly Wonderful Beer Fest, which is coming up in just about a month now, on the 22nd. So you can get your tickets uh, there, and you can check that all out at thinmanbrewery.com. And then, of course, I should also mention Wednesday, is Go Skate Day. It's the first official day of summer. It's at Thin Man Chandler. So if you uh, want to check that out, it's a collaboration between Thin Man and Mom's Skate Shop. Uh, so $15 a ticket if you're 21 and over. If you're under 21, uh, it's free. So 4 p.m. it starts. You get uh, access to the patio and the loading dock for Skate Jam. You get your first drink. And then also the Veil to Pearl pop-up will be there. So w- weather's looking good. First official day of summer, longest day of the year. Uh, that's all I got, Brendan. Anything else uh, on Thin Man? No, yeah, it was a great time. Again, thank you to Thin Man for putting on such a great event on Saturday. It was just an excellent time all around. There's, you know, you can never complain when you shut down a street and have a big day party. So kudos to Thin Man for that. Otherwise, though, again, yeah, make sure you're just swinging down to Thin Man, whether it's for post-work drinks or some dinner with the family, whatever it may be. Other cool stuff coming up there, too, next month. July 14th, my cover band is playing at Thin Man Chandler, and then on August 12th, we'll be playing at Thin Man Elmwood. So a whole lot of good Thin Man coming up. And, of course, because we haven't talked about it in a little bit, we will also be announcing the next day, date for our Buffalo Sports Trivia Night, which will be, I believe, our fifth edition, if I'm not mistaken, Taylor. Yep. There you go. All right, so let's get back into it here. Taylor, did you want to ask something about the defensive group? Yeah, so we talked earlier about targeting a new defenseman, a second-pairing defenseman in either free agency or trade. Uh, The interesting wrinkle there is the Sabres have seven defensemen under contract. Uh, So how do you see that shaking out? Do you think there's a buyout that happens or maybe part of a trade where they give one of those guys away and have another guy just be the seventh defenseman? What What do you see that looking like next year? I think Labushkin's too valuable with that type of player that he is for them to move off of him. They like Stillman. The contract makes sense. He's the type of player that they wanted. They gave up Josh Bloom for him, so I don't see him going anywhere. The obvious odd man out, based on all factors, is Jacob Bryson. Um, so they've got two. They've got two options here. They can move him this summer, which I think 
they would be able to do so, there's going to be teams who need defensemen, whether they need to get closer to the cap or they actually, you know, Jason Botterill drafted Jacob Bryson. They might lose Carson Soucy as a free agent. They, you know, we'll see if they pay Royal Borgen. Maybe that's a fit there. I, I think that either they're going to deal Bryson for a draft pick, something along those lines. Maybe he's thrown into one of these trades or, they could Anders Bjork him and just try to get him to Rochester and, and have Jacob Bryson as your, you know, number eight and the older guy among a pretty, you know, mostly younger prospect laden group down with the Amherst. But it's a good point to bring up. It's a layer to this that, you know, it's easy to kind of forget about because you've got the forward group. If they have to carry Savoy, they need that roster spot. So at some point they're going to have to make a decision here. Well, and I think the other guy that comes to mind too with this is Henry Yoki Haru and where he really fits into the mix. They tried to make it work with him in power and just clearly wasn't the case. And I think the 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 parallel that we often point out is just not that you can necessarily call it a, a mistake, so to speak, because of how good Darlene looks now, but I don't think anybody would disagree with the fact that they did not do a good enough job of getting him a good partner early on in his career that maybe could have helped his development curve a little bit more. Yoki Haru really doesn't feel like he's that guy for power. And clearly as they're making it a priority to go out and get this top four defenseman, it seems like that opportunity has come and gone for him. He really has exclusively played on the right side. And you're going to think that, like you said, with Labushkin and what he brings to the team, he's going to have that third pairing right defenseman slot then you have Stillman too is he going to be your seventh guy or are you going to have him like are you going to pencil him in as, as your sixth lefty or are you going to go out and also get uh you know a third pair lefty there so where does Yoki Haru fit into the mix for you next year do you think he's a part of this team or are they moving on I think he's part of the team they really like him he's still young they think that there's a higher ceiling there that he's yet to get to um which I would think that they'd be a little frustrated it's taken this long because of the inconsistency in his game but that is the big question. Is he going to be able to play the left side? Because a lot of right-handed, right-shot defensemen struggle to make that switch over. Brandon Montour had an issue with it in Buffalo when he was here. Uh, I think Colin Miller had to play the left side a little bit. He wasn't good at it. So it's a tough ask for Yoki Haru when he's been on the right side this entire time in the NHL. They're going to do it. They're going to give it a shot and see how it goes. And He's a player, though, that if it doesn't work out and it creates sort of a logjam, they're going to have no issue moving that player if they end up getting to that point. Not only the contract, because if his next contract's not going to be that expensive, the type of game that he plays, the puck moving, the, be able, the ability to break break pressure, you know, the moving the puck, joining the play, he'll be fine. You know, if they have to move him in a trade at some point, they'll find a giver, but right now they're going to just try to make it work. And Stillman right now, I think, yes, the seventh guy, but he's a number seven. They really like, and they think um, we saw glimpses of it. I thought Stillman was really good in a couple of games last year, but there just wasn't enough practice time for him to overcome all the scars from playing man to man. And like, just a, a reminder for Sabres fans, just think back to the way the Sabres defended when Housley was coach. Like, man-to-man stinks. It's an <laughs> excuse for people not to coach. That's what it is. It's just – so if a guy screws up, the coach can just point it to the media and say, well, you saw who was covering. That's that's who's responsible instead of the coach taking responsibility for a system being flawed, which is often the case when you have man-to-man. <laughs> Definitely. So next question I have a little bit more getting away from roster construction and into actually the team next year, two years ago it was Tage this past year, it was cousins. And you can even say to a lesser extent, maybe Casey, these guys who took these really big jumps, who do you think is most poised on this team, whether it's among the Ford group or even the defensemen, obviously that would really just kind of qualify as power at this point to take a big jump next year. And that next step to really take their game to a new level. My choice would be Peyton Krebs if he was used in a different role, but given where he's at, where he he's going to have might, might have to be used on the fourth line. My choice is going to be Jack Quinn. We saw everything he did the final, what, six weeks of the season, just being hard on pucks, protecting the puck along the wall, finding shot lanes, being more deceptive. He was a big difference maker. I think he really figured out what he has to do to be an effective player at this level. 
So now for him, it's just getting bigger and stronger. That is the next step for that player. Um, Because I think defensively, he's making enough plays and turning enough pucks over and has the skating and has the shot to where the offense is going to come. My only concern, honestly, about, about Paterka is just his focus seems to waver when it comes to the defensive aspects of the game, which is why you saw him sit against certain types of teams. He takes he takes risks that you just can't take. He's going to get that out of his system at some point. And I, the gap between those players in terms of my pick with this question is very thin. It's very, a very narrow gap, but I'm going to go with Quinn. I do think that he's the next guy because, and a big piece of that is the power play, you know, Paterka and Quinn didn't make a big impact on the power play at a young, at a young age last year. It's, it's not easy with the way penalty kills defend now, you know, compared to the past where they were more passive. Now they're more aggressive and trying to turn pucks over. I think they're going to be a lot more comfortable in those spots. And Quinn's going to have an opportunity, even, you know, especially if he's on the first unit to, to definitely have the breakout um, that we've seen from other guys. So last question that I have for you, Lance, uh, that Taylor and I have is with regard to the four group and the line combinations, it feels like the top six is pretty set in stone in terms of that top line seemingly staying intact with Skinner, Thompson, and Tuck. You have your second line of JJ, Cousins, and Quinn. Obviously, the third line is where things get a little interesting. I know we were talking before between Krebs or Jost in that 3C spot. You have maybe Casey on the left, Kulik on the right, what have you. But we also talked a little bit about the flexibility that the Sabres have right now, given their forward depth organizationally. Do you feel as though going into next year, and obviously other moves may change this, but do you think that they should keep those top two lines intact like that? Or do you think that they should be maybe a little bit more open to switching it up a little bit and getting different looks with certain guys? And like you said, like pairing maybe a guy like Krebs in the top nine with like a more pure goal score, being able to utilize Tuck as that kind of like jack of all trades. You can put him anywhere and kind of help anybody kind of player. Yeah. I mean, it, Absolutely. I think they're open to it. I think that we're going to see different looks. You know, one example you bring up, you know, what about a line of with Krebs centering Paterka and Kulik? Like how fun would that be? That'd be sweet. (laughs) But they need, they need Paterka to come to camp and show that defensively he can be put in in spots such as that. Um, And it might really play into their favor because, you know, especially if you're at home, you have second change, you can exploit matchup problems and the speed of those three players can overwhelm and then you've got Middlestad with his playmaking on the, along the wall is going to be a really nice addition to Cousins and Quinn if that would be the second line so yes I think that what they're trying to get to is to give Granado as many options as possible to build an effective lineup and you know if they lose Gergensens, even if they keep them I think you look at all their options and what their lineup's likely going to be including Savoy they're going to be able to put some interesting combinations together to put a winning lineup out there. And Greenway is another part of that. Like Greenway can play up in the lineup. We'll see. I think he's going to be fine. I really do. We saw flashes of it late in the regular season. I saw a lot of in Minnesota. I liked what he did there. Um, The skill set was apparent. So again, I think it's tough to break up that top group, but the rest of the three, yes, I think you've got a lot of interchangeable parts that create some really fascinating options. And a big piece of that is your center depth. When you have centers who can, who have those skill sets, like an elite skill set, like Dylan Cousins, he could play with all kinds of different players. And, you know, he could play that hard direct type of game. He can play, you know, score off the rush. He is a very good example of what you want your team to be like. You got to play both ways. Vegas won the Stanley Cup. If they had to play a rush game in the playoffs, they were able to play a rush game. If they had to forecheck, dump it in and play at the Carolina Hurricanes, they were able to do it. So that's what I think you're going to see teams try to move toward. And the Sabres, as much as it is challenging when you have these younger players and you're trying to create the right mix and doing so fitting into your long-term plan, that's what they're trying to move towards as well. And I think with just the the subtle moves we've seen over the last year and what they're going to do this summer, they're going to be well positioned to do that. Um, you know, another piece with what are they going to do for depth in Rochester? You know, are they going to bring guys like Sean Malone back? Are they going to look for different two-way forwards? We'll see. Cause I don't think they have any interest in rushing guys at the NHL. Although Rusek and Weisbach have really opened eyes with the way that they've played and have proven to be call up worthy. 
Well, Lance, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. We'd love to have you back on once we get through the draft and free agency. We could talk a little bit more about what the landscape is kind of looking like in the aftermath of that. But again, thank you so much, folks. You can find him online on Twitter at L. Lysowski. Lance, you have any uh, anything coming up you want to promote at all? Any stories or anything like that dropping this week? Nothing, nothing particular, guys. Just, hey, um, thanks everybody for reading, following along. If you don't subscribe to the Buffalo News, please uh, at least consider it. Digital sub. Um, I like to think that our Sabres coverage is pretty good and has a maybe a little different twist than what you get elsewhere. So, um, yeah, no, just, hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, It's been a blast, and, yeah, happy to join you any other time. And, of course, so I, I saw to check uh, out the Maintenance I, Day podcast, too. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Goes without I saying, saw, pal, Joe Yurden, we've had him on before. So, yeah, yeah. Great stuff. Um, so I saw in your uh, Buffalo News bio that you also used to cover the Pittsburgh Pirates. I did. Uh, I was so- in baseball before this. Do you Very consider cool. yourself an expert in playoff droughts? No. <laughs> covering those two? I, I've never covered a playoff team. I haven't. I haven't covered, yeah, no playoffs. Um, I covered college sports, and the best bowl game I've covered in terms of college football was the Pinstripe Bowl, which was at Yankee Stadium. An elite wow. venue, a not-so-elite bowl game. But, um, <laughs> no, so it's been fun, right? Different experiences. I grew up playing hockey, so this is always kind of where the type of job I wanted to have. So, hey, um, it beats rain delays and, and bad baseball. Although, hey, the new rules in Major League Baseball seem to have made a difference. So, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Well, Lance, we appreciate you taking the time to chat with us again, everybody. Make sure you're following Lance online. You're checking out the maintenance day podcast and keeping an eye out for the Buffalo news and all the great pieces that Lance is going to have coming out. Thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of straight up Sabres presented by the hockey podcast network and the charging Buffalo. Make sure you're checking out both presenters of this podcast on their respective websites, wherever you're using to listen to this episode right now, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows and giving them a look and a nice little follow. And again, before you close the app from whatever platform you're using to listen to this episode, make sure you are subscribed and or following straight up sabers and we would love it if you'd give us a nice little rating or review also make sure you're following us on social media you could find us facebook twitter and instagram at straight up sabers at straight sabers on twitter and last but not least folks we love our sponsors make sure you're checking out DraftKings using that promo code thpn at checkout i know there's really not a whole lot to bet on right now aside from baseball and any other obscure sports out there i guess Sadly, not hockey. We'll get that updated soon, but make sure you're checking out DraftKings. Take advantage of that great promo code. Again, that's THPN. Use that at checkout and take advantage of great deals. And Thin Man Brewery, again, whether you want to go there for drinks after work, whether you want to take the family out to dinner, whether you want to go catch some live music, whatever it may be, Thin Man is the spot to be. Check it out. They have two locations, both Elmwood and Chandler Street. You'll find us there all the time. You'll find lots of great people there all the time. So make sure you're going and checking out Thin Man Brewery. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Thursday, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. This has been Straight Up Sabres. Sabres.